Well, I have uh, been on this surrender series. This is week three of surrender. And there has been this scripture that's just been kind of captivating me in my quiet time and moment by moment, even when it's not my quiet time, I've really taken this scripture to heart and I'm asking the Lord, how do I live like this? And here's what the scripture is. It's out of Romans 12, verse one. And this is what the Bible is challenging us to do. And it says, to surrender yourselves. It says this is our proper response to the Lord. It says to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. And that scripture is just such a bite You know, you can read it really fast and it's like, oh my gosh, my expression of worship, offer your lives, live a sacrifice. But when you really break it down, it's it's intense. It's got words like surrender and living sacrifice and holiness and experiencing all that delights his heart. And I've really tried to find myself asking the Lord that a lot more often. Uh, I'm very aware of what delights my heart at times or what I think delights my heart. But how often do we slow down to really ask God, God, what is delighting your heart? What delights your heart today? What does my life look like to delight you? And uh, this scripture has just been something that I've just been marinating on and and rolling my head around and really trying to to really settle into the challenge here that the Apostle Paul has laid before us here in this passage. And I was thinking about the word surrender and what does surrender really mean? And the definition I wrote for that would be to position yourself in a place of complete trust and vulnerability at the mercy of the one that you surrender to, right? We, we know surrender if you watch movies with guns, that just seems to be a thing, right? The bad guy comes or the cops come or whoever's got the gun and they stick you up and you go, I surrender. I surrender means I'm laying myself at your vulnerability. I'm going to trust that you are going to do the right thing if I surrender to to you. And that's the posture that this scripture is challenging us to take with the Lord. A scripture that says, God, I surrender. I am going to trust you with everything and I'm going to leave you in charge of my every move. I surrender to you, Lord. Another word, and that is, is the word sacrifice. And sacrifice is, what sacrifice really is, it's, it's giving away of something that you find valuable. And it's interesting because I think one thing that we all share that we hold valuable is our, our time and our energy. Pastor James spoke this morning about just us holding uh, our resources. Money is something valuable to us. Um, but there are many things valuable to us. Our our will is valuable to us. Our dreams are valuable to us. Our, our time, our energy, where we put our, our focus is valuable to us. And you can tell what is valuable to you oftentimes by where you actually put your time and energy because that's what's valuable to you. That's what you're willing to sacrifice for. So I've been thinking the past uh, few weeks here just about everything that goes into sacrifice and surrender and I, today I wanna to talk about the other side of sacrifice and surrender, or that was at least my goal is to talk about the other side because I wanted to talk to you guys about over here and how wonderful and amazing it is, and it is, and I'll talk about it some, but I feel like 
I'm kind of stuck here. You know, we had the visualization of the stairway to heaven. I kind of want to talk about the stairs today because I don't know if you've done stairs much, but going up and down stairs sometimes can be a little cumbersome and a little difficult and a little exhausting. I want to talk about the middle ground, the stairs here to the other side. And I was thinking about what makes us want to sacrifice to get to the other side. Well, what makes us want to sacrifice is because of the reward that we know is on the other side. We, we begin to ask ourselves, is that something that's, that's worth it? And what I realized was, is we will sacrifice for things that we see reward in because we find them valuable. We'll, we will sacrifice for those things. And last week, I, I told you guys about uh, when I used to coach volleyball, that that kind of became a campaign for our team. The reward would be winning state. And the sacrifice we were willing to pay was what we thought was everything. We were willing to do whatever it takes. And side note, I have to apologize. I realize that I am a horrible storyteller. If you've been with me for these past four or five years of me preaching, there's this thing that I keep doing to you guys, and I will tell you guys the story. And then once I make my point, I just leave the story and I just move on. I told you guys a story once about me like meeting these random guys in a field and going into these woods, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And then I was like, so anyways... Paul says, and everyone's like, what happened? And so last week I went on this journey about like, we didn't drink water and we didn't touch the lines and we did all these things. And I never told you what came on the other side of that. What came on the other side was we ended up having multiple state appearances. I think we ended up at state five different times, uh, runner up multiple times, state championships several times. We ended up in a national uh, competition in Oklahoma, won nationals two times. So what was on the other side was really awesome. But I just can't not talk about what went into getting to the other side. Because I think that middle part is often the part that we just don't talk about. We like the before and the after pick. But what about the during pick, you know, right, right in the middle? And I'm realizing that in our life, those times that we want this reward over here, there's sacrifice that goes into getting there. But we're only willing to make the sacrifice when we believe the reward is worth it, that we really want it. Look, can we just talk about the age-old thing that we talk about every January 1, and that's diet and exercise? And we make this decision, is it worth it to me this year to be healthy? Most times we say no. As we get older, we go to the doctor and they say, oh, your cholesterol level's getting high. For some of us, we go, okay, that's worth it. I will get in shape and I will eat better. But for some of us, we're like, yeah, that's still not worth it, right? We go through this thing and we're always deciding if the reward on this end is worth the sacrifice that we want to make on the other side. Uh, it's like that with, with you overworkers. How many of you work more than 40 hours a week? And some of you just like it, right? We just overwork ourselves. Why? Because we think it, it's worth it. If I can just work a little harder, if I can just do a little bit more, if I can just do a little more of that, the reward is I'm going to get ahead or this thing is going to happen or there's going to be a promotion. So it's worth it. We're not even counting the hours on the clock because we are willing to pay the sacrifice for the reward. Will we do that with our money? You're either probably in this room a saver or a spender. 
And both of those theologies in your finances come from the reward. Some of you savers in here, you believe that the reward of having a nice, safety, a little nest egg to make sure everything's okay, money in the bank, responsibility, is worth the sacrifice of eating ramen noodles and peanut butter jelly every meal, right? And wearing shoes, uh, one pair of shoes for the next seven years. That's worth it for you for the sacrifice. You spenders over here feel like the sacrifice is always being broke, never having your full tank of gas, always running out, going by the penny, never having enough, is worth the reward of getting to buy things when you feel like it, right? So both sides, there is sacrifice and there is a cost that goes in comparison with the reward, right? Are y'all hanging with me? So I was thinking about these things in our life that we are willing to sacrifice, and I was thinking about just our walk with the Lord. I think we've talked so much these past couple of weeks just about God really asking us to surrender it all. I mean, Jesus really went in really, really just deep when he doubled down and said, if you, you cannot even become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You can't even be my disciple. And we're here coming to church and go, God, I want to be a disciple. I want to be trained by you. And Jesus was like, no, you have to give up everything to really be my disciple. So we've been talking about surrender. We've been talking about sacrifice. And I was just thinking about in our lives in general, or maybe it's in the kingdom of God, why don't we sacrifice? Well, I think the reason is is because we're really not sure about the reward system And I think there's three problems that we face when it comes to sacrificing, whether it be for the Lord, our diet, our money, whatever thing it is in our life. And I think uh, one of the first problems is we don't uh, see the reward. We just don't know the benefits. That's why when you go to the doctor and they begin to talk to you about your health, they like to tell you the benefits of good health. Because a lot of times they say that people are not eating proper diets and things because they just don't know. And I think sometimes that can be true for us in many areas of our life. We aren't willing to pay the cost or make the sacrifice because we just don't know how good it is if we do that. What's the value in doing so? I think another area that we face when we have problems with sacrificing is we do know. We just don't think it's worth it. It's just not worth what that's going to take. And then thirdly, I think sometimes we struggle because we just don't think it's legit. We, We don't trust the process. I was talking to somebody this morning and they were telling me, what was the word? I wasn't going to forget it. Usha, kusha? Guasha. Guasha. Where's my ladies at that do this guasha stuff? Not many. I know you do. Yes. Okay. This guasha. And you get this little stone and you like do things in your face and it gets all the excess yuck out of your face. Fat, juice, I don't know. Something. It helps your lines, it refreshes you, I don't know. And uh, she's telling me about this and how she, I'm like, oh my gosh, your skin looks great. And she's like, oh, I guasha. And I'm like, you do what? So she's telling me about this guasha thing and I'm like, does that really work? And she's like, oh my God, it works so good. And she begins to tell me this whole process that she does it. And when she's done, I go, I'm not doing that. And she's like, no, it really works. And it's like, I just don't believe her. Like, that does not seem legit. And I'm not willing to go through this morning ritual every morning on some shenanigans that came off of TikTok. It just doesn't seem legit. And it might be, guasha people, I trust you, you're wonderful. I just don't have a lot of time. And if I'm gonna use five minutes on something, it better work. 
right? And I think that's how we are with the things in our life that we are willing to sacrifice and surrender for. Time is money, money is time, we're all going fast. What is going to be worth our sacrifice? And I think oftentimes when it comes to our faith, the problem is is that we aren't willing to really pay the cost because we don't think it's worth it. And I think when it comes to salvation, Salvation is fairly easy and fairly cheap. At least for us, it is. For, for, for Jesus, it cost him everything. But because of Jesus, we just jump on salvation. Pastor Russ and I were talking this morning on how easy we've made salvation, right? Like salvation's just really easy. And it doesn't really matter if you believe it or not. Just say, say that you accept Jesus just in case, right? And uh, just say the prayer. That's all it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you just a prayer. And tell you what, just so nobody feels bad, you don't even have to admit that you've sinned in the prayer because that kind of makes us feel bad. So just say the prayer and everything's good and everybody's saved. Woo, no hell for us, right? Can we be honest? That's kind of how we have gotten to be with our salvation, right? And I don't want to downplay Jesus paid the cost for salvation. Salvation is a wonderful free gift. But somehow in our Christianity, not in any other, every other area of our life, we are like, what's it going to cost? Everything. It's so important. It's so much work. Do this, do that, but it's so worth it. It, do your gua sha. It's going to be so, I know it takes 10 minutes and it sounds ridiculous and you probably look like a moron, but it's worth it, right? But for some reason with our faith, we go, oh no, it shouldn't cost you anything. You shouldn't do anything. You just do whatever you want, feel however you feel. And then you're just great. And we are missing out on the reward that comes with sacrifice. We're not making it to the other side. And then we have this idea about our Christianity that it's either boring or dull or doesn't really work. And the thing is, we're not really doing it. We're not really fully going, God, I am going to surrender and I'm going to begin laying down my life for you, Lord. I'm going to begin offering my life as a living sacrifice in every moment every moment of my life. And so when I'm arguing with my spouse or when I'm having frustration at my workplace or when I just don't feel like doing something that I know I should do, I'm going to make the sacrifice to do what you say, God. Not what I feel, but what what you say. And so I think sometimes when it comes to salvation, we make it fun and easy and so quick, but when it comes to surrender and sacrifice, we really don't really outline the cost that's in that sometimes to get to the other side. And I think because of that, because we're not really working through what surrender and sacrifice looks like because those words might make you not wanna come back to church because they're heavy. The problem is no one's actually doing that very much anymore. And we, we talk about the other side and we talk about how great it is, but not many people are actually going over there because to get to the other side, it goes through a process of surrendering and sacrificing and becoming one with the Lord, that's where the reward is. The reward is, is him. And I begin to think about just how that it really is hope that positions us for surrender. It's hard to surrender to something that you don't hope and believe by doing this, things will get better. And, and without having a clear understanding of who God is and the hope that he brings, it's hard for us to want to surrender 
But because sometimes we're not experiencing fully who Jesus is and the hope that he brings and the difference our lives begins to make on the other side, since we don't ever do those things, we can't really talk about those things because we're not experiencing those things. Are you with me? And I uh, was just thinking about, you know, last week we talked about Jacob's surrender. And we walked through the whole thing. We went up the ladder, went up Jacob's ladder. Then we came back and we wrestled with God. But there was this moment when Jacob was wrestling with God. And um, he said to God, he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. But see, this time was different because Jacob had been underneath the blessings of the Lord all along. We talked about that, right? It was the God of his father. It's God of his grandfather. And because of that, he was still inheriting blessings. But God wanted to bless Jacob differently. He said, Jacob, I don't just want to be the God of your grandfather. God. I want to be your God. I want to go with you wherever you go. I want to show you how powerful I am. I want to showcase myself to you personally. I don't want to be your grandfather. I want to be your father. And so they get tangled up in this moment and Jacob begins to realize how strong and how powerful. And it's a tough wrestle that they go through the night, but he had finally experienced who God really was and how great God really, really was. And so amongst this struggle, we talked about how, how the Lord hit his hip and Jacob would forever walk with the hip that would remind him the humility that he needed to come to the Lord with, right? But then in that moment, he says to God, he says, I won't let go unless you bless me. But like I said, this time was different because it wasn't just bless me like you did then, bless you like you did that. Like I have now experienced the powerful God of the universe and I know that from him all blessings come. And it was interesting because as soon as Jacob said, I will not go unless you bless me, the Lord says to him, then what is your name? And it was the first time that Jacob had really surrendered his identity. He says, I'm Jacob. Jacob means I'm the deceiver. I'm the supplanter. I'm the stealer. I'm the thief. I'm the liar. I'm Jacob. And Jacob had never throughout his whole journey had ever been honest about who Jacob really was. He was always convinced every problem he had, every trouble he had was somebody else, something. But what was different in this moment right here is Jacob finally understood the power that his God had and the hope for if I surrender here, I'm gonna get to go over there. And it was something that God had been trying to show Jacob all along. That's why he showed him the ladder. He showed him what surrender would look like in his life. But until Jacob got a revelation of the hope that was in God, he couldn't surrender. And I think that's what we really, today my goal is, is to go, church, we've got to get a revelation of who our God is. Because if we really know and we really understand how good God is, how faithful God is, and what it's like living under the provision and the protection of God, it would make sacrifice an easy decision. We, we sacrifice for things in our life that we don't even put thought to. I, I've been sacrificing for my kids' sports team so much lately, I don't even see James anymore because I'm always with my kids. I'm like, what am I even sacrificing for? Do I think they're going to be in the WNBA? No, I do not. Why am I here? Because we actually love to sacrifice for things. We're wired that way. We're wired that way. And so I begin to just think about the, our journey with God and go, God, 
How can we get ourselves wired to sacrifice for you? And it comes with the hope of knowing who God really is. And it's funny because I think about Jacob and I think about Jacob's bloodline. Uh, Jacob's bloodline was the children of Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. Those sons became the children of Israel. A couple of move arounds there, but that's a long story. Mostly those 12 sons became the children of Israel. Those were the tribes were named after each one of, of his sons. And I realized that Jacob's bloodline was just about as stubborn and stupid as he was. And the children of Israel, they had the same hope problem that Jacob had. They could not understand for themselves who God really was. And it's interesting because if you study the timeline from the time that God encountered Abraham, the father of many nations, which would be the father of the children of Israel, to the time the children of Israel finally got free, it was about 600 years. 600 years. And it wasn't 600 years of God being unfaithful, God just stalling for time, God saying, maybe one day if you deserve it. No, it was 600 years of people being stupid and stubborn. 600, 600. Because it it went like this. He, in Genesis, he encounters Abram, says he's gonna name him Abraham. He's gonna make him the father of many nations. And God tells him, if you will surrender to me, I want to bless your family all of your, in fact, you will have such a big family. You'll be as numerous as the stars and I wanna take you to the promised land. So that's the covenant he makes with Abraham. Then Abraham has a son named Isaac. At a hundred years old, he shows himself to Abraham. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac, God becomes the God of Isaac. God begins to bless Isaac. Then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. We talked about these guys last week. God continues to bless Jacob and Esau, because the covenant that he's made with his parents. Then Jacob has 12 knuckleheads that end up throwing their brother in the pit, sending him off to Egypt. That's how they ended up in Egypt, because the 12 knuckleheads went and got rid of their brother, who God had called to be a king, they threw as a servant. So here we are now. This ends us up in Egypt, and uh, we get restoration in the family. God uses Joseph. God blesses Joseph. God walks Joseph through things. But now we've got these people, and they've been enslaved for 400 years now in Egypt, waiting on this promise. But what's interesting about it is they weren't just in Egypt not knowing what was going on. 600 years, God had been telling them what he wanted to do. There was 600 years of promises available, 600 years of his power available. It wasn't just like something that happened. They, they really had a hope problem. It wasn't like God wasn't giving them something to be hopeful for. They really had a hope problem, putting their hope in the Lord. So finally, they, they, get, them, they get them out. Uh, Moses is now here. He's gonna get God's people out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They were mistreated in Egypt. So Moses is scared. They had this burning bush. Finally, Moses feels good. He's ready to go to get God's people out to take them to their freedom. And here's how this goes down. Here's, here's Moses, and he's talking for the Lord. He says, therefore, say to the people of Israel... God saying this to Moses, say to them, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. 
I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession for I am the Lord. Wow, what a powerful statement from the Lord. You wanna know what their response was? No, thank you. They said, no, thank you, we're good. Egypt really isn't all that bad. Your promises really aren't that good. We're probably gonna be just fine here. In fact, yeah, yeah, I get it. People say we're in slavery, but it doesn't really feel like slavery. I mean, we get up, we work a job just like everybody else. Our job's a little more difficult, but we, get, we got a roof over our head. We got shoes on our feet. I mean, really, what, what can you complain about, God? We've, we've got it pretty good here. We've got consistency. Uh, we've got convenience. We get to kind of play like we're in control of our own life. Like, things are really good here. And Lord, listen, we're big fans of you, but we're not really big followers, so if you're okay with it, we're just going to be big fans here in Egypt, which is where we left off a couple of weeks ago. So here they are, and they're saying, we don't really want to leave Egypt. Our hope is not in you, Lord. Our hope's in, in us. Our hope's in what we can do here. Their hope was in them. It, it, it wasn't in him. It was in them. And I think sometimes we can be a lot like these people. I mean, not us, because we're way better than that, of course, but sometimes other people can kind of get in the same mindset. Like, God, I really do want to be a big fan of yours. I'm gonna, I want you to bless me. I want to like associate with you, God, but I really don't want to make any sacrifices outside of what I'm comfortable with, Lord, to make me feel okay in what I'm doing. And that's kind of what they're doing here. And I feel like that's us sometimes. We're those kind of stupid and stubborn people sometimes. And God's going like, just trust me. If you'll just go on a journey with me, I'm gonna take you, I'm going to reveal this life to you in a completely different way. I'm gonna free you. Well, Lord, I'm not really in bondage. That's, I'm in America. And God's going, no, 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 you're in bondage. There's things, there's things that you're still struggling with. There's frustrations that are still going on. Your marriage is sometimes still broken. Your family lineage is still broken. There's things happening. I want to pull you out and I want to rescue you, rescue you from this, this bondage. And I was thinking about just uh, the things that we have to believe in to, to get to the other side of freedom. We really do have to get to this place of surrender and sacrifice to lay things down to get where the Lord's trying to, to take us. But if you don't know the Lord is trying to take you somewhere and you don't really believe that that place is better, it's hard to lay down where you are. It's hard to leave Egypt when you don't have a desire for the wilderness or a desire for the promised land. And I think we sometimes are having a hard time with our Christian life because I don't think we've really got it narrowed down on what a successful living or hope-filled living maybe looks like. Like what, what really is the life that we're looking for? And I think that we all agree that we want to live a happy and successful life. That's the goal. Anybody not the goal in here? Okay, I thought, I thought so. It's all of our goal. Our goal is that we could have this happy and successful life. And, and that was actually Jesus's goal too, because that, does, that goal and that desire was something placed by, by our creator in fact, Jesus said this when he came, he says, I am the gateway and to enter through me is to experience, 
To enter through his gate is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expected. Life in the fullest until you overflow. He says it this way in other translations. It says life and life more abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for my sheep. So Jesus is very clear on the life that he wants us. He wants us to have a life that's full, life, life and life more abundantly, life in the fullness of until you overflow. But I think that might be the problem that sometimes we get stuck in as Christians is what really is the fullness of life? And it's difficult to really know what that is because there's so many narratives, there's so many things that are in your face constantly telling us all what the fullness of life is. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we, we can slip into this idea that, well, if I serve the Lord, he's gonna give me fullness. So that means I'm gonna have all of my dreams come true. Everything's gonna be just perfect. I'm gonna have a Rolex, a Lambo, right? And all of these things. Oh, if I don't get that, God has not fulfilled his promise. That's not really the promise that he was talking about. He was talking about life and life more abundantly, a fullness that comes from the inside. Nothing is full when it's got stuff around it. A bucket is full when it's got stuff in it. And he's talking about this fullness that he wants to promise us. And I think that's a problem. I think we have a, uh, we're off on our definition of what fullness is, what, it, what really is success. And success isn't what we acquire in this life, but it's, it's what you fulfill in this life. Success is the fulfillment of life's one purpose, life of one's purpose in life. I, I go back to, always go back to the garden when everything was right. That was fulfillment. And what fulfillment was is that Adam and Eve would walk with the Lord every day, fulfilling their purpose and taking care of their responsibility. That's, that's the life that he's called us to. And that's the life that Jesus promises us. This life when we're successful with him because we're walking in a fulfilled life because we're walking with him through the purpose that he's called us to. And I was thinking about it's how interesting it is in the Bible. I think the Bible is full of success stories. And there's only a, a couple stories in here that talks about a rich man. And it's funny because if the rich man was the success story, the Bible probably would have mentioned his name. But his name's not even mentioned. In fact, that part's left off because that wasn't a success story. The success stories were stories like the apostle Paul who found himself in prison because of the Lord. He's in prison and he's going, this is the happiest and the best I've ever felt. I've never felt so free. In fact, I can't stop celebrating here in this jail cell. And I think that's the thing that's on the other side that we're not being able to tangibly uh, understand or have value for because that's such a crazy idea. Pastor Zeb, you're telling me option A, I can be the rich man with the Rolls Royce and the Lambo. Option B, I can be in a jail cell and it'd be my favorite place in the world. You're telling me this is gonna be better by serving Jesus. Yes. And then we're like, pass. Right? We're just like past because we can't even understand a joy that comes from the overflow that no matter what is happening around us, we can still find hope and celebration and joyfulness because of what God is doing, because of what God says he is. And all we can think about is how worthy and amazing and amazing and great he is. And every day is just so wonderful. That sounds crazy. 
right? Because we're just, that's just not our Christian experience sometimes, right? We go, oh my gosh, it's just so hard and I don't know what to do. And then this happened and it's this and it's that. But no, God promises us life and life more abundantly, life until overflowing. What if we took God at his word and we did everything that we could possibly do to get to the other side of our salvation? What would our lives be like if we just packed up and left Egypt and said, God, I'd rather be in the wilderness with you than in the Egypt without you. I, I gotta go where you're going. I gotta go where you're leading. And back to the problem that we have, I think sometimes our biggest problem with our Christian walk for us to get to a place where we really begin to go, God, search my heart. God, what do I need to lay aside? God, what do I need to sacrifice? God, do I need to get up a little bit earlier today to spend time with you? God, what do I have to do? I think one of the major problems that we have is we just don't see the reward in it. I don't think sometimes we actually know what God's word says. And I don't think we've positioned ourselves in a place to hear from him, for him to tell us his personal plans for us. And if we don't know the reward of serving the Lord, we're probably never gonna really want to do that because the, it, the sacrifice has to have hope behind it. It's gotta have purpose. So I think that's one of our big issues. And the other big issue is like I said earlier, I think sometimes we just don't think it's worth it. And we go, I heard a pastor, so if I hear the reward, the reward is joy unspeakable and life on the inside, but that's not worth it. I want a Lambo, right? And I don't know why we think this way, Maybe it's not a Lambo. Just insert whatever it is, the thing that we find ourselves pursuing or chasing that seems like it would give us great life. I just know that the people in the world that have everything, if you watch them long enough, they will admit that they actually have nothing because you can't really fulfill yourself on the inside, surrounding yourself with things of value on the outside. The only place to get yourself to a place of fullness is to get into that place with the Lord where he can offer you that fullness. So I think that's the second problem. And then the third problem is, I just don't think we think it's legit. I think sometimes we don't trust that God is really faithful. And what's interesting, and I've been, I've been subject to this myself in my journey with the Lord. It's funny because you see people that serve the Lord with all their hearts and they go through this really difficult thing and they come out and they actually go, God was with me every moment and I'm still at peace and God is still good because they have it from the inside. But then we sit here and we judge their outside. Yeah, sister so-and-so served God with everything and you saw how that went. And she's going, yeah. And it was amazing because all these people in the world go through hard things and sometimes they don't have anybody to go, but the rod and my staff, they comforted me. He walked me through it. I'm better here than I was before. I love God now more than I loved him back then. This is amazing. And then sometimes we sit and we go, God wasn't faithful. And that person's like, God was faithful. Let me tell you something, guys. God is legit. Everything he says in his word, he will do. He is so faithful. I've been singing this song to him lately, just going faithful, 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 because he's showing himself to me in the season of how faithful he is. And when you begin going through the journey with the Lord and you begin knowing him better and getting closer to him, nobody can take that away from you because you've experienced him as a faithful God. And so I think sometimes we're struggling through our Christian journey because we're not really getting in the river where the current is with the Lord. 
And like I said, then we go around calling like, I don't know, it's not really working for me. You gotta get in the river. And let me tell you something about rivers. They're chaotic. They're out of control. I still work through therapy on my son Tyler getting stuck in a river at the Comel and the current taking him so fast and it was so chaotic. And I'm a control freak. I did not like that feeling. That's what the current with the Lord looks like. You get in and you just throw your hands up and you go, God, you are the one that steers the current and I'm in. I don't have to have control of everything going on. And that's what surrender is. It's letting go of control. Control of my ego, control of my dreams, my desires, my frustrations, my unforgiveness, my anger, my resentment, my protection. It's letting go and it's going like, God, I'll just surrender whatever it is in my life that's keeping me from getting in this current with you. I'll let it go to be with you. And we're missing that part of our journey. That's the fun part. Sure, the river's crazy, but it's refreshing. The river takes you to places that you never thought you could go. The river moves you. It's not stagnant water. It's moving and it's fresh and it's alive. There's a reason the Bible calls Jesus our living water because it breeds life into your bones. But you got to get into the river, but you can't get in the river while you're holding on to the, the side. Right? You got to step in that river. And I was thinking about just the call, like I said, to, to get us positioned to go, man, I want to go to the other side, to, to get excited for the other side. You've got to have a revelation of what's on the other side for you to go through it. And I started thinking about times in the Bible that God uniquely went and talked to specific people to try to inspire them and prepare them for what they would have to go through to get to the other side. And it was, it was Joseph's. God gave Joseph a dream. That dream would prepare him and inspire him to walk through his wilderness to get to the other side. David, when he was just a young boy, the prophet Samuel came and anointed and told him how God saw him as king. And that experience would inspire him and prepare him to walk through the wilderness until he would finally become king one day. It was Paul when he had this encounter on the road with Jesus that would inspire him and prepare him to walk through his journey as an apostle for the Lord through the wilderness of persecution and incarceration. It was those moments with the Lord that inspired these people to have these success stories. Are we positioning ourselves to get inspired to walk through the wilderness with the Lord? And if we aren't spending time with the Lord and we're not reading our Bible and we're not positioning ourselves, how are we gonna know how good it is if we never let him tell us how good it is? And I know that we all know really good Christian people that can sit and talk about how good it is every day. But let's be honest, the, the more they say God's good and how wonderful it is, the more crazy we think they are, right? Because you can't really understand how good God is unless you've served him. There's just something about that. And that's really something that only he can show you. Only he can show you how good he is. And so are we positioning ourselves to even have those experiences with him to encounter him? It's, it's those experiences and that idea and knowing who he is, that's the hope that helps us endure. I love the scripture about Jesus because it says that even Jesus struggled at times to push through. But it says that the night before Jesus would go and be taken to go up on that cross, it says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was so looking forward to the other side that he would endure the cross 
And that's what was going on here with the children of Israel. God was trying to inspire them. For 600 years, he told them about this promised land that he wanted to take them to. He was trying to give them hope so they could endure the wilderness journey. The funny thing about the wilderness journey, it was supposed to last seven days, seven. It lasted 40 years because the entire time they were in the wilderness, they didn't get what they needed to get out of the wilderness so they could go to the promised land. And I think sometimes we, we look at that story and we think that God was punishing them through the wilderness. He wasn't punishing them. He was trying to prepare them for what he was going to do in their life. He was preparing them for their purpose, but we can't get prepared for our purpose without going through the wilderness so we, we get into our salvation and we're like, okay, this is great. I said the prayer, everything's great. And then God's like, cool, we're going over there. God has more. I wanna do immeasurably more than we can ask or think according to the power that works in you. And you're like, cool. And then you're like, ooh, that water's really cold. Ooh, it's really, really fast. And then we're frustrated because we had this longing to be over there, but we won't go through it to get to it. And we're stuck over here because we don't wanna surrender. And God's been like, I, I want you to know, like, I think the surrender journey is a lifelong journey. And I think in different seasons of your life, God begins to uncover little pieces of you that you're like, oh my gosh. So I don't want you to feel frustrated, like, oh my God, that's going to be so hard. I want you to feel um, lighthearted and knowing that, oh, surrender is a forever journey that we do with the Lord for the rest of our lives. And it's uncomfortable, but it's great. Because the Holy Spirit's a comfort and he's convictor. And every day he helps us go through it. That's why Jesus said we have to pick up our cross every day and do it again. Because the weight of the world and the distractions from the enemy and all the things are constantly pulling us down. So every day we reset and we go on this journey with the Lord to get to our success story. Our success story when we're going, man, I, I, I fulfilled the will of God in my life. Man, I ran my race fully, the race that God's called me to. And I got to the other side. I made it to the promised land. I made it where God was taking me. And I think just sometimes we get discouraged because we don't realize like we got to do the whole story. Again, it's not just the before and after. It's the whole story. We know the before story that Jacob was Jacob and then he became Israel. But there was that place in the middle Years and years of Jacob trying to surrender to the Lord and figuring out what that looks like. He went and wrestled all night with the Lord. There was the surrender story that was in the middle. Saul to Paul, there was the surrender story in the middle. Man, think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, her surrender story. At the age of, what, 14 years old, maybe younger, she would have to go through all this persecution. She didn't get to have the Pinterest wedding ladies she had to lay it all aside to do what God called her to do. But we look at these stories and we go like, I'm gonna be a David, I'm gonna be a Mary, I wanna be a Israel, I wanna be a Paul, I'm a Peter, I'm an Abraham. But Abraham, Peter, Paul, Mary, David, Joshua, Moses, name it, Jesus, they have something in common. They all went through the wilderness of surrender. They all went through the place that they said, okay, God, I'm willing to lay down whatever I need to lay down to get where you're going. And, I, and I'm realizing that as I look through the stories in my Bible and I look through the stories of the people that I know even today, I'm realizing that the greater the sacrifice, the greater the surrender, the greater the success. God's success story. And there is no such thing with, of success without sacrifice. Even worldly success. 
You're not, you're not gonna find somebody that has all the riches or all these things that said, oh yeah, I don't know how I got her. I didn't try at all. No, 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 no. In fact, they'll be offended because they'll go, no, no, no. Let me tell you how difficult it was to get here. And I'm so proud, but as proud as I am that I'm here, I'm so proud of the fortitude it took me to get through the wilderness. The strength comes from that wilderness journey with the Lord when we begin to go, God, I'm gonna surrender. God, I'm gonna sacrifice. God, search my heart and, and, and do what you need to do. And like I said, that, that wilderness season that God calls us to, that place of surrender, that place of insurity, that place of letting go of control and laying down all the things that make us feel comfortable, it's not a, it's not a punishment season. God's not asking us to go there to punish us. He's asking there to go is to prepare us. It's a place of preparation. It's a place of consecration. It's the place that God begins to take us and mold us and help us to be the version of us that's right. The version of us that's filled with the spirit of the Lord. The version of us that's fulfilling in our purpose and our calling. And this was Joshua here. This is now they've made it through the wilderness. They've done their 40 years. Nobody made it except for Joshua and Caleb because none of them were okay with going through the surrender it took to get there. And this is Joshua now, and they're about to go into the promised land. This is what he tells the people. He says, every commandment that I give you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember what the Lord God that led you all these 40 years into the wilderness, why he took you here to humble you and to test you and to know what was in our heart and whether you would keep his commandments or not. God's not taking us through the wilderness. God's not acting, asking us to surrender or sacrifice and do all these things because he's really arrogant and he wants all the power. No, he's going like, this is for you. Man, when you begin to surrender, when you begin to lay things aside, you become to be the best version of you. I mean, how many people in this room would say that when you became a parent, you became a better version of you? Because all of a sudden you are required to sacrifice, right? You come straight home from the hospital, well, even at the hospital. Mamas, we've been sacrificing from the get-go. You begin, you sacrifice your body, you sacrifice your humility. Then you have to sacrifice your sleep and your rest and all the things that go with it. And what happens? You become a more giving person. You become more generous. You become more kind. Sometimes we just magically become cleaner because all of a sudden now we had this cleaning gift, right? You just become this different person because every time that we surrender and sacrifice in our lives, God takes that and makes it into something that's better. As we offer that up to him. And I was thinking about the wilderness and why God wants us to lead us in the wilderness with him because it's the place that we get to fully surrender to his plan. And yeah, it's uncomfortable and it's a little bit scary because you don't know always what's going on and what you've known your entire life is hold on to resentment, don't let go. And now God's saying, forgive and walk away. That doesn't feel right, but God's word says it's right. So it's an uncomfortable season. But what you get in the wilderness are things that you cannot get when you're back in Egypt. What you get in the river are things you cannot get on the shore. You, you, in the wilderness and going into the promised land, you begin to receive the, the power of the Lord. God cannot anoint areas of your life where your character cannot sustain that anointing. God begins to anoint you. God begins to bring his presence. God's presence wasn't as Egypt. His presence was in the wilderness. His presence was offered day in and day out. His presence would lead and guide them, but they had to get out of Egypt to get to the presence of the Lord. 
What's in his presence? Peace. What's in his presence? Joy. What's in his presence? Love, happiness, freedom. Those things are the things that come on the other side of surrender. I mean, what's on the other side of surrender? What's through the wilderness is his promises. His promises on the other side. What's on the other side, the purposes for, his, for our life is on the other side of this process that we go through with the Lord. And like I said, I, I know we haven't even gotten specifically into some of these topics yet of what surrender is, but I still just feel like God's asking us just to kind of get our heart posture ready to go like, God, am I really willing to go through the tough stuff because I trust you enough to get me where I'm going? Do I really trust that your hand is so careful and intentional with me and so kind? And I'm really, guys, there is nothing easy about going through the process of just really surrendering and sacrificing with the Lord. It's, it's an unnerving process. It really is. And the thing is, let me tell you this. I don't want you to feel guilt or shame because God's not up there being like, well, I'm mad at that one. They received my salvation and now they won't surrender. He's not doing that. He's going, give it to me. I want to carry this for you. My burden should be light. So what's on you? That's not my burden. Give it to me. Give me the fear. Give me the distrust. Give me, give me the ego. Carrying ego is a heavy thing to carry. He's going, give it to me. He's not mad. He's going, give it to me. Let me walk you to freedom. Let me walk you to, to a place where you are free and light and walking on air. And he says, don't worry. The wilderness is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a place of discomfort, but it's also the best place because in the wilderness, you've got my cloud. You've got my presence. You've got my, you've got my fire You've got my manna that I feed you with every day. You've, you've got the things you need. It says, my rod and my staff, they comfort you through the wilderness. They comfort you through the valley. And today, like I said, I think we've, I've made it a lot about this wilderness conversation, but what I'm really trying to do, guys, is get us encouraged and open to going, God, I want to be refined. God, I want to go through a journey with you where you begin to refine me. I was uh, reading about uh, gold this week, and uh, I'm not a chemist, so if I'm off, don't write me emails. But from what I can understand, that gold um, has impurities all in the gold, but you can't see them and you can't get to them without actually ruining the gold. But if you take gold and you put it under 7,000 degrees, it will begin to release the impurities. And the impurities begin to all float up to the surface. And then you can easily just scoop the impurities out with a ladle. Man, to be purified gold, nothing impure in you, it all goes to the surface. How beautiful is that? And now it's a God's asking. He says, just, if you just let it come to the surface, I can, I can scoop it out quickly. But the part about it is, is to, for gold to get into that, that material, it's gotta go through 7,000 degrees. Sometimes it takes us going through this journey of the Lord and it feels hot and it feels like fire. But what's happening is God's going, let me, I'm refining you and I'm molding you. And there's people that make the trip that withstand it and they go through it and God begins to refine them. There's people that slowly do it over time and there's people that never get to know what it's like on the other side. When the refining's taken place, when the impurities removed. And what's interesting about pure gold is when the impurities are completely removed, uh, gold is super soft and malleable. It's real flexible. And it's also in a thin form. It's actually translucent. You can completely see through gold. That's the call for us as the church. We should be so flexible 
so just in sync with the Lord every day. We're up for whatever God's leading us and showing us. Our lives should be so pure and so clean that we have nothing to hide. We can be completely translucent because when you look inside of me, you're just gonna discover him. That's really the goal as a believer. And I was just thinking about the process of refining and, and what you go through. And sometimes, you know, there's just, in our world, there's just pain and there's suffering and there's just things that happen and there's heartache and there's frustration and there's bad drivers and loud kids. And there's all these things. And I was just thinking about how do you escape just the crazy of life? And it's like, really the only way out is through dying. But I thought about that in a spiritual sense and it's kind of the same. The way out of pain, the way out of the things that we carry and the burdens from the past and the things that we're carrying, the way out is through dying to ourself. And I was thinking about me because I've really been doing these personal audits every day going, God, search me and search me. And I realized that the areas in my life that I'm not dead to, that I haven't surrendered, are the areas where I still feel pain. If it hurts or it's frustrating, that's a pretty good indicator that that's something that has not been given to the Lord. Now, y'all get me wrong. Even Jesus wept and Jesus got really mad. So I'm not saying emotions are wrong, but there's emotions that we have have that are holy. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes your heart breaks for people that are hurting. I think that's a holy emotion that God gives us those emotions. But wanting to slap your husband, probably not a holy emotion, right? So, So what areas of my life do I need to maybe surrender to the Lord? The ones that still hurt, the ones that still feel pain. And I was thinking about just the Lord and going through these, these times. And here's what Paul said when he, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself. He goes, I'm, I'm dead. That's why prison doesn't hurt me. That's why persecution, they're threatening to kill me. I don't know what's going on, but none of it bothers me. He says, I'm free from the laws of sin and death. Pain doesn't hurt me anymore. Not because he was crazy, because he got in with the Lord and that's where it was at. That's where freedom really was for him. He was, Paul was really free. So I think here's my actual message today. Here's my message. My actual message today, guys, is as we go through this journey where we're being called to surrender, I I don't want everybody feeling this burden to feel more regulation on your life. Because I don't think the answer is more regulation. The answer is more inspiration. Get in there with the Lord and find out how good he is. Then it's worth it. The things that we sacrifice, and sometimes we complain, but a lot of the things that we are sacrificing for, we don't even complain because it's worth it. We want to. And I was talking to somebody not too long ago and they were, they were struggling through their journey and they were like, Pastor Tip, help me to be more disciplined. Do you have more discipline? And I'm like, that's it, yes, more discipline. I'm gonna get you these books on discipline. I'm gonna help you, we're gonna be great. And then yeah, God woke me up in the nine. He said, they don't need more discipline. They don't need more regulation. They need more inspiration. We've gotta get inspired about who Jesus is. And the only way to get inspired is to, is to be around him, to, to read his word. Bible says, without vision, people perish. Do you have vision for your journey with the Lord? Do you have vision for what the promised land could look like for you when you're completely free? Do you have vision for that? 
The Bible says it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You gotta get an appetite for the promised land. Start thinking about it. Start asking God, God, what does my life look like when I'm fully surrendered? God, what's my fulfilling of my purpose look like? God, inspire me. But, but you know how you get inspired to him? You get close to him. When you get close to him, he begins to reveal himself to you. It said this, it said that when Moses would go and see the Lord, he would come back and his face would be shining because he'd, his countenance was shining because he had encountered the countenance, the face of the Lord. He was shining, glowing. That's what happens when we spend time with the Lord. Our whole countenance begins to change. We begin to glow. And y'all know David is my boy in the Bible, my emotional David. I love him so much because he's just raw and he's just figuring out and he's talking to God and he says, why? He's talking to himself. He's, why are you so cast down my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then he pulls himself right out. He goes, nope, I'm gonna hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. One translation says, for the salvation that comes from his presence. So why are we always talking about presence here? Presence, presence, presence. Because in your presence is where he's at and his presence is where he is. In his presence where we find our answers. It's where we find our hope. It's where we find our joy. It's why we find our release. We come in here and we begin worshiping. Why? Because we want to get into his presence. We say, when you wake up in the morning, think of the Lord before you do anything so you can acknowledge his presence. Because in his presence, that's what David says, I have to, hold on soul, check back in here. Just go look at his countenance because then the hope will fulfill me again. And I can get up and I can keep going. So areas of our life that we are hopeless are just areas that we're not face to face with the Lord on. So those areas we gotta dig and we gotta go, okay, God, I'm bringing it to you. I'm gonna bring this, I'm gonna lay it at your feet. And that's what, he, that's what his promise is. He promises that in his presence will be joy. That's what David says. He says, in your presence, he said, God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So church in this season that we're going through this wilderness season, that's the answer. If we're gonna get through the wilderness season, there's no way to do it except for acknowledging his presence and being with him and going, God, today I'm feeling hopeless. I need you to restore my hope. God, I'm not feeling joy. I need you to restore my joy. And it's not, he's got to do it. All you have to do is go to him. When you sit with him, God begins to fulfill those things. God begins to change these things. And all of a sudden we're in a wilderness and we're like, I kind of like it here. Man, in Egypt, I had control. I had everything, but actually I was in bondage. But here I'm free and I've got the presence of the Lord with me and I'm in his hands and trusting him and what he's going to do.